A child asked his father, how were people born? So his father said, Adam and Eve made babies, and then their babies became adults and made babies, and so on. The child then went to his mother, asked her the same question, and she told him, we were monkeys, then we evolved to become like we are now. The child ran back to his father and said, you lied to me. His father replied, no, your mom was talking about her side of the family. We, um, we've been on a little journey and uh, speaking about this thing. We, we spoke about it last week, knowing God. I'm nervous because that looks like last week's one. Should have a part two there. Is it there at all? Uh-oh. Otherwise, we're going to do last week's message twice. Um, we spoke about knowing God and versus knowing about God. There was nothing wrong with knowing about God, and actually that's what the church um, is largely here to do, is to instruct and to teach you about God, the Bible, His principles, um, a way to live a God-honoring life as a Christian. And, uh, and so that is largely what we do. But, but what we sometimes fail to do is to teach you how to know God. And what I mean by that is that you just have a relationship with God. It's, you can know about someone but not necessarily be in relationship with that person. And so we spoke very much to, to what it means to know God versus knowing about God. And there's a picture that I showed last week. Uh, there it is, part two. There's the picture. And the picture's a brilliant one because it just, for me, illustrates perfectly the father heart of God. That picture, if you remember last week, if you were here, comes, I was speaking about the prodigal son. And uh, that whole story is not so much about the son as it is about the father and how the father is waiting and waiting and waiting and days and weeks and months go by and, uh, and years go by. But then when he eventually, as he's looking out over the road, waiting for his son, knowing that hope, well, hoping that he's going to come back and he eventually sees him and he just breaks into a run and goes to embrace his child. Just the picture is brilliant because it just highlights that it's, it's, it's a relationship. It's me and dad. It's dad and me. And some people find that sort of terminology disrespectful. Um, but I don't think you should. Abba, father, dad. And uh, the point of last week was to say this isn't a thing of following rules. This isn't a thing of uh, a, a walk of ticking boxes. This is us and dad walking, talking doing life together, like it was before the fall of man, when Adam could walk in the cool of the day with God and they could talk. And Jesus made possible for us to have that relationship again with the Father. And so I'm trusting God this morning to help me communicate this message effectively. It's not an easy one, um, but it is one which I think we'll find helpful. And I trust that you will as well um, as we go on this journey about knowing God. I want to pray now, if I may. Father, I just pray that through your word, Lord, you would breathe new life into relationships. Father God, that, that even as we sit here and as we listen, Lord, it wouldn't be about hearing and it wouldn't be about information. But Father God, by your spirit, we ask that you would come and you would speak to people's hearts. Lord, that you would challenge them at the core of who they are. Challenge me. Challenge us. 
we want to be different when we leave here. We want our relationship with you, Lord God, to be just that much more real and meaningful and life-giving and dynamic and exciting after this morning. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's a formula up on there. For those of you who have finished maths, don't worry. This isn't going to get complicated. Um, A plus B plus C equals D. This is a formula I think that a lot of us will use, whether we say it consciously or not, when it comes to dealing and relating to God. Let me fill in the A, B, C, and D, and then hopefully it'll make more sense. A is this, God loves me. I think we pretty much sealed that last week in terms of our understanding of the way that God loves us. God loves me. B, God is good. Would anyone in here agree with that? C, if I'm good, hmm, some people raising their eyebrows to this. God blesses me. Come on now. Now, before you think I'm trying to trick you, I'm not trying to trick you. This is the way we think. If I'm good, isn't it true that if you follow godly and biblical principles, areas of your life will be blessed? Isn't it true that if you follow God's guidelines for how to have a a, a healthy marriage in terms of staying faithful to one wife, that there will be a blessing in your relationship with your wife as a result of that? Isn't it true that as you apply financial principles like Sarah was talking about, there's a blessing in that? I'm not saying that you will get money back for the money you put in. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is if we do the right thing, if we apply the principles, then we are blessed by God. So, so just let that stew. You don't have to say in your mind whether it's right or wrong or whether you agree or not. You can argue in your head if you like. Uh, but let's go on a journey this morning. And hopefully I think this will make a little bit more sense. A and B are pretty undebatable. We don't really have control of A and B in this situation. God loves me. Well, he does. Look, whether you believe it or not, he does. Whether you accept it or not, he does. Whether you like it or not, he actually does. Because like any parent, he just loves. Not because you're special or you've done something amazing or anything like that. He just loves like a good father. B, God is good. We can't really debate that either. That's not up for debate. C, if I'm good, God blesses me. Let's see what we've got here. We don't believe, and I don't think any of us do believe that that when we come to serve God, we're going to have a perfect life. But we do believe that we'll, bless, uh, that we'll be blessed, that we'll prosper because God loves us and cares for us. And like I said, I don't think we think about this formula consciously, but I think many of us live it out. And it comes largely, this understanding comes from teaching. It comes from the platform, it comes from the books, it comes from the podcast, it comes from TBN or whatever it's called now. Um, we get, we, this is the teaching we get. It may not look like that, but that is essentially what it is. And if you come to my house and you take a look through some of the pictures on the wall or you take a look at one of the photo albums or some of the frames that Sarah's just put up, you're going to see certain things. You're going to see pictures like that. You can say, oh, that's cute. It is cute. You're going to see lots of stuff like that. 
If you go on Facebook, you're going to see stuff like that in my news feed. And what are you going to conclude? Obviously, you'll conclude that I'm a fantastic father. (laughs) Because there I am with my children. And you're going to conclude that I must be an amazing husband. Taking them on family trips and and posing for photos. And it's just so cute, you know. And and if you dig deeper, you'll find um, my child taking its first steps. My children, both of them, taking their first steps. Little videos, little clips. And you can determine something from the photos which may or may not be true. But that's the image that you're going to get about me from looking at those. The photos you're not going to see on my walls are the one when I lost my temper with Sarah. When I was so... I'm not sure if this word's appropriate, so let me think. (laughs) When I was so upset. (laughs) And I lost my temper and I said things I shouldn't have. That photo we didn't put in the album. Or that time when the kid was crying and Sasha, one of them, the mystery, when they're crying at night, and it's not like minutes, man, it's like hours. And and all of a sudden it becomes clear to you why some people do damage to their children. Stuff you never thought you would think about, you're thinking about. But you're not going to find that photo in my albums anywhere. You're not going to find it on Facebook. Because we don't like to present that side of things. You see, you'll draw a conclusion from me based on the photos that you see in my house. But that isn't the complete picture. Isn't that true? I think the same thing happens with God. You see, what we teach and preach, we mostly will preach out of the happy photo book of God. And here's some of the happy photos. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Does anyone know that verse? Well, that's a fantastic photo. Psalm 91, if you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Beautiful. I'd put that on Facebook. Philippians 4.19. And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. There are many of these promises that you could easily fill a photo book of the happy parts of God, of this, of, of the one, but you know what? It's one side and it's one aspect and it's one element. We take these photos and we create an image of how we think God is and how we think he responds to us. What happens because we preach out of this so often is it leads to disappointment because sometimes what happens is that we hear about people that have been blessed. And God has blessed them. And sometimes it's materially, and sometimes it's in a relationship. Sometimes God's helped them to overcome something in their lives. And we hear these stories, and we've got this photo album, and we know God does bless us. We know God does love us. But sometimes that doesn't feel like it happens for us. I don't know if I'm the only one in the room who's ever felt like that. Like, why? Like, God, don't pass me by. 
don't go over me. These guys are blessed. Things are going well for them. What's happening here? I'm struggling. I'm owed money. I'm, I'm battling. I'm in debt. Like, like, where are you? Because my photo album doesn't have that photo. And, but this is what I'm going through. So something must be wrong. Here's the thing, and don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Those promises are true. Those are eternal words from God's word. Those speak to the character and the nature of God. That God does protect. He is a provider. He does look after us. He is a refuge. He is a shelter in times of storm. Those are all promises we can very, yes, those are God. But is that the only part to God? And is that the only sign to God? That's the question. If that's the only photos, if those are the only photos we have, I think we're going to run into some troubles. A plus B plus C equals D. So let me put it this way. Who here has had a baby recently? Oh, you have, eh? Pretty recent. So Graham and, but you've had a couple. Who's had a first baby recently? <laughs> you can stop now, thanks. <laughs> we'll grow this church one way or another. Get all the elders to procreate. Okay, so anyone here had a baby recently? First baby? Jeez, the elders need to teach some, some people some things. Anyway, so then let me take Flippy and uh, Veronique. They're the, they're the couple that sort of spring to mind when it comes to new babies because I think they had theirs maybe three or four weeks ago. It was somewhere around there. Uh, so they got a very young, a young child. Is his name Franco? I don't know how to say it. Franco? Huh? Franco. <laughs> okay, it's very difficult. Um, but anyway, when they come, they can, they can uh, let us know. But So they've had a child. No, so just say this. Flippy goes around and he comes to some of the fathers and he comes to Graham and he says, Graham, you've had a couple of kids. This is your third round. Um, I want you to teach me something. I want you to teach me how I can discipline my child when it will not eat food. Well, what are you going to say, Graham? <laughs> Call mom. Fantastic. <laughs> What are you going to say, Richard? You've got someone, you don't just have children, you've got grandchildren. If Flippy comes to you and he's writing a manual and he wants to know how to be the best dad he can, what does he do when he needs to discipline his child who will not eat? What are you going to say, Rich? Okay, Richard will take an encouraging route. He's going to encourage the child. Julius? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Julius will beat him. No, he won't. <laughs> yeah, find a way. Sarah, what would you do? I know what you would do. Sarah sings. So she's like the, the baby feeding whisperer. So she just sings to the baby until it consumes everything in the bowl. And it actually worked. It wasn't short or quick. But it worked, and our, baby, our babies put on weight. So that's fantastic. But the bottom line is this. Isn't it true that no matter who you go to, you're going to get different answers? You're going to go, and, and, and everything is going to change from one person to the next. There is no one way. 
you would use a different method at a different age and stage of the child, depending on your personality and depending on the child's personality, true? There's no one way that a parent would respond to a child in a situation that's not easy. That's not reality. And yet, somehow, we say, well, I've got these photos of God. I've got these promises. I, I just know that if I do this, this is the way that God responds. When I'm in a difficult situation, this is how God is going to respond. He's going to send his angels who are going to guard and protect me in this. So I'm going to put a bumper stick on my car just to make sure that he does what he says he's going to do. Isn't it tr- because God only has one way to deal with us? Is that true? It isn't true. But I think we live sometimes like it is true. The promises of God are true. But they are not the only way that God can respond to us in situations. What happens is that the difficult circumstances we struggle with, we start to struggle with our photo album God when difficult times come. And maybe there are one or two of you that are facing particularly difficult times right now. And it could be in any way. But I want you to listen up to this. And maybe you're not in that stage right now. I still want you to hear what we're saying this morning. You see, in a difficult circumstances, let's just use some random example. A person that loses his job. And he holds on to Philippians 4.19 that declares that that God is our provider. And looks after all of our needs according to his riches. But they can't find a job, and it's been weeks. And they've got bills to pay. And they've got people they're supporting. And then a few more weeks go by. And their CV has gone out to every single person they can think of, and then some. And they keep trying, but they're unemployed. And they keep trying, and they keep trying. Now something starts to happen here. You look at the formula, and you say, God does love me. Yes, he does. God is good. Yes, he is. If I'm good, he'll bless me. Sooner or later, this is going to turn around. But, well, not but, what tends to happen then is sometimes people look at the C part of the formula, that if I'm good, and they say, okay, well, I'm going to attend church more regularly. I'm going to tithe, even though I don't really have much to tithe from. I'm going to attend a connect group. I'm going to... I'm going to spend an extra 15 minutes reading the Bible each day. I'm going to be better. Because if A and B are always true, then I need to alter C. I need to change my behavior, my actions, my uh, way of working. And they do. And they still can't find a job. And more time goes by. And guess what happens? You start to get confused because your pictures of God don't match your reality anymore. But all you've heard and all you've understood are the pictures. You get to a point there where you've got to make two choices. It's going to be a matter of time before you either say, I can't keep doing this. I'm walking away from this. Or you say, I can't walk away from this because I know A and B are true, but I don't know how to marry these two things. I don't know how to understand my pictures versus my reality. So I'm just going to tuck that in the back of my mind and keep on walking forward and just sort of pretend it never happened. And the problem with doing that is it just takes a while for that to accumulate, just a couple of those to accumulate. But your picture of God never changes. And eventually, you become disillusioned. 
this whole church thing never worked for me. I tried it. I did it for six months. I came to church. I even gave money when they asked for it. The whole church thing doesn't work for me because look where I am now. It's a matter of time before you become disillusioned if all you're changing is C in the process. Life happens and it happens to all of us. One of the most fantastic examples in the Bible of someone who who didn't do much wrong as far as we can see, but Joseph, just a brilliant example. Now, if you, if you, I think many of us will know the story of Joseph, but the bottom line, and let me skim it in a sentence, is that he had a dream as a young boy that he was going to be a leader. His brothers didn't like that because it sounded proud and arrogant. He was the youngest, and the youngest don't become leaders. And so they threw him in a pit, pretended he died. They told his family that he was dead. But actually what they did was they sold him into slavery, and he traveled all the way to Egypt. He became a, a, what you call it, an attendant, like a cleaner in the palace, and he was accused of raping a woman falsely, and he was sent to prison, and he did hard time. He did 14 years. Uh, of, of rough time. We're not talking about a seasoned man here. We're talking about a young, young man spending 14 years in prison with other prisoners and it's dark and it's dank and there's very little there. And he pushed through. And we know the end of the story. What happened at the end of the story? He became pretty much prime minister. He became one of the most, if not the most powerful person in Egypt in that day. And we look at the end of the story and we say that God will establish you and make you great. But I can tell you something. That might have been fine for the first few days for Joseph. But his picture of God and his reality for 14 years to look at that and say, I don't understand. You look like this, God. This is what I understood about you. This is what my father always taught me about you. And here I am in prison for 14 years, unfairly accused of rape. I'm not even here because I did something wrong. Then your reality and your picture of God start to change a little bit. And they start to get a bit shaky. What about Paul? He's got a pretty, he's got like a medal of honor for being beaten and shipwrecked and flogged and uh, he, he was seriously battered and beaten, imprisoned so many times. Peter crucified upside down according to church history. John the Baptist beheaded. Where was the God of Psalm 91 in those situations? I will send my angel to look after you, to protect you. No harm will befall you. Well, now this is a bit complicated because you've got men who are serving God with everything and they're getting beaten and shipwrecked and imprisoned and beheaded. And the answer is simple. He was right there. God was right there. But if God was right there, doesn't that mean that God allowed those things to happen? This is shaky theological stuff here, hey? (laughs) I think it's okay to think about these things. Because either you're saying that God was blindsided and he wasn't really sure what was going to happen or he was there. There isn't really a third option. 
But I think these things are good to think through because they challenge the photo album that we've got of God. So maybe we need to take another look at that album because something's not lining up. God is good. Yes, he is. God loves me. Yes, he does. If I'm good, if I play by the rules, if I, if I follow the principles uh, that are found in the word of God, God will bless me. So there's a couple of things that don't look right anymore here. It seems that even if I play by all the rules, bad stuff can still happen to me. Anyone agree with that? Anyone experience that? Even if I do everything I know how to do, sometimes tough times still come. See, as as soon as knowing God is about keeping the law, it was much easier, I think, in, in a sense, in the Old Testament. It was all about keeping laws. So you knew you just had to do this or not do this, and you were okay with God. But things changed for the better when it moved from laws and rules to relationship. Things changed. And as soon as knowing God is about keeping the law or following the rules, you don't need a relationship with Him because you've already got one with the law. And that isn't the father heart of God. Can you imagine, as a, as a physical dad, saying to your children, as long as you say hello, as long as you eat your breakfast, as long as you go to bed by 7 o'clock, I'm going to love you. We're going to be okay. Do you think any relationship can survive like that? There's no chance. But it's much easier for the kid because they know exactly what to do. Sometimes it's harder to build relationship than it is to follow rules. So God's blessing isn't a result of how well I do or how good I've been. That only leaves one part of the equation. D. God will bless me. Again, maybe many of us wouldn't say this out loud, but I think we often think of God's blessing as material or comfort. We do. God, I need this right now. Would you bless me? Place to live, a car, a job, health. Now, I mentioned this earlier in the first service, and I'll say it again. I've got a big problem with prosperity teaching. If you follow prosperity teachers and doctrine, you need to stop it. And here is the reason why. It's not in the Bible. You see, when I look at the New Testament, these are men and women who were serving God with everything they had, giving it everything. And I look at the way they lived, John the Baptist with his suit of camel hair, eating locusts. That's not nice. I don't see prosperity there in the way we understand prosperity. When I look at people imprisoned and beaten, when I look at people beheaded, I don't see it there. Stephen, stoned to death. Where's your prosperity gospel? Does it only apply once the apostle died? Like when did it kick into gear that we can be financially secure and set all the time? When did that become a factor? Because it wasn't a factor back then. Jesus himself brutally murdered. They were all, here's the thing, and you've got to hear this. All of the people I'm talking about in the New Testament, those people who followed God with everything and who still suffered, you need to hear this. They were all blessed and they all lived a full and a satisfying life. 
it just didn't look like what we expected to look like. It didn't look comfortable or prosperous by worldly standards. Difficult things happen around us and to us, no matter who we are or how good we are. That's the bottom line. And it brings me to kind of the main point of what I'm saying this morning. Our response to our circumstances is what determines the kind of life we have. Jesus came, and we know from John 10.10, he came to give us life, and he came to give us abundant life, rich, satisfying, full life. Not a set of rules, not a list of things to follow, but life, real, real life. And many of us live our lives with this formula, just trying to do the right thing. What I'm suggesting is that we follow God on a moment-to-moment, day-by-day relationship versus tick boxes, versus what I can do. You see, no matter what I do, that, that, isn't, that doesn't determine, in a sense, what happens to me. Life happens to all of us. You can avoid certain things by not being stupid. I would agree with that. But you can't ultimately decide everything that happens to you. You can make your plans, but the Lord determines your steps. That's what it says in the Proverbs, and that's absolutely true. We can avoid as much as we can avoid by logic and reason and good thinking. But ultimately, things are going to happen. So, before you get saved, before you become a Christian, your whole life is about getting all your circumstances in order. It's about making sure that you've got the wife and the car and the job and you've studied and all these things. The goal of life becomes to be sorted, to have everything you need. And what happens, and the problem, is that we carry that into our Christian walk as if solving all the problems is the goal of it. We mistakenly think that having no problems is the goal of life. But the goal of life is not to be problem-free. And it's not to be comfortable. Because as soon as everything's comfortable, what's the first thing that goes out the window? Relationship with God. That's the bottom line. As soon as we've got everything we need, well, you find your spiritual life just starts to decrease a little bit. just becomes that much more. But you never pray as hard as you pray when you're going through a tough time. Isn't that true? You never trust God the way you trust God when you don't have things. And it's weird, but the difficult times force a dependence on our Creator, which is actually a healthy and a good thing. The only way to live a victorious Christian life is through knowing God. And this is what we've been speaking about. It's through hearing Him and having a personal relationship with Him. I think we're all happy to accept that God blesses us and He gives us good things. When we get a job, we can praise God for it. When we get a wife, when that bond comes through, when, uh, when, when we manage to find that car and it's at a really good price, you know, we can accept that God, God does bless us. But it's more difficult to believe that God allows us to get sick, that God allows us to lose a job. I'm not saying he does that to us. I'm saying he allows that to happen for difficult circumstances. But it's not what happens. It's how we respond to what happens. Let me me change tack here briefly. God blesses us like children. In 
in the way that a parent would want to bless his children. But here is the reality. And this is where we need to alter the formula in terms of D. God will bless me. Let's take a look at this quickly. Because our idea of what blessing is, is distorted. Comfort is not always blessing. Withholding can be a blessing. Discipline can be a blessing. Rebuke can be a blessing. So we look at D and we say, but I'm, I don't, I'm not blessed. I've been trusting you for a job. Well, how many of you know that you can, you can take that attitude in that circumstance or you can say, well, I've got more time now than I'm going to have when I have a job. So if there was ever a time to walk and talk with God and to build my relationship and to build foundations, this is it. Yes, I'm going to look for that job. I'm going to send my CV out, but I will never have the hours in a day that I have right now. So I'm going to use this time to do a certain thing. You see, it's just changing the way that we do things. But this thing of blessing, this is important. And and I want to read a passage from Hebrews in just a moment. Because when I think of my girls, now they'll ask for treats all the time. Kate especially. She just loves chocolate. She's exactly like me. And, uh, and she'll say, Dad, can I have some chocolate? And I'll say, yes, you can. Here's a block. What do you think the next thing that's going to come out of your mouth is? Please, can I have some more? Can I have another one? Dad, please. Um, and now, if I was God, well, if, if I was looking at God and I only had that photo album of God, what would my response to her be? Of course, my child. I love you and I'm good and you've done the right thing. Here you go. And here you go. And here's some more. You know, have the whole slab. You know, I think I'm going to go to the shop. I'm actually going to get you more chocolate. And you're just going to enjoy that. You want chocolate for supper? Have it. How many of you would say, wow, there's something wrong with your parenting skills. Don't speak to Flippy. Whatever you do. Don't tell him how to raise your child. Because, you see, our idea is that, well, but God, I've been seeking you. I've been asking. I've been, and, and, and I know that your word says that when I ask... I'll be, you'll be found. So here we go. A plus B plus C equals D. So I don't know, where, where is this happening here? But what would, I mean, what would happen to Sasha? She'd become, okay, she'd become an absolute brat. Can you imagine her going to someone else's house? I can have a block. Here you go. More, more. Go to the shop and buy me some because that's what I'm used to. And what else is going to happen? So actually, me saying to her, no. Does she see that as a blessing? She really doesn't. She sees it as a massive curse, actually. It's almost better if I don't give her the first block because saying no to the second block is so rough. But that's the reality. So, But I am blessing her because I'm helping her to eat healthy. I'm helping her not to become a spoiled brat that no one wants to be friends with. So I'm helping her, but it doesn't look like helping her from her perspective. And don't you think it's possible that God can have the same way of doing things? And we say, God, I really need this. God, I've been praying. I've been seeking you for this thing. And he says, no, not now. I've got something there. You need to wait. Or I've got this. Or no, no, here's this. Trust me, this is what you really need. You think you need that, but this is what you really need. But this isn't what I asked for. So we need to change, I think, our idea of what D is. God blesses us. Because it's true that he blesses us. But blessing looks very different. Can I read a quick passage and then we'll close off? comes from Hebrews 12. Let's read this together. 
Therefore, since we're surrounded, it comes, sorry, just it comes out after that passage that speaks about the heroes of the faith, Abraham and those kind of guys. And then it goes on to this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. This is like theology bending stuff here. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons for what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Is that helpful? If you are going through a tough time this morning, maybe something will happen tomorrow that will put you in this circumstance. Who knows? The point is this. Don't look at your photo album of God and say, I don't understand. Why is this happening? We can see everything that is happening and nothing catches God by surprise. We can see it and know that God hasn't left us. He hasn't changed his promises. He doesn't not love us anymore. He is, it's not like he's not good anymore. God is good. He's with us. We're there. Keep doing what you know how to do. Stay in community. Read the word of God. Yes, do those things. But change your idea of the outcome of what you think you're going through is. Because if you're expecting one thing and God's saying, but this is where I'm going here, this will do much better for you than this little quick exit here that you want to take out of a difficult time. We need to trust that God knows exactly what he's doing and that he is a father that blesses us, but that the blessing sometimes looks, doesn't look like we think it's going to look. Give God the opportunity to speak to you in all your circumstances. Don't determine how he's going to respond based on your happy album of him. It's not rules and it's not a black and white thing. It's not box ticking. It's relationship. When we start to know God's voice, life becomes as it should be. Exciting, dynamic, living, real, day by day. And that's what we want. And that, I think more than anything for me, if I can speak openly to the guys who were at men's camp, was the biggest encouragement there. Was that there was just, I think, an overarching thing in terms of the guys to say, we want more. 
We're just tired of, we don't want to come and just tick boxes. Even in our relationship with God, we don't want to come and just pass time. We don't want to just know about God and not know God. There's more to this somehow. There's a depth that we haven't quite, that we've lost somewhere along the line. And the men in this church, and I don't think it's just the men that were at the, church, at, at the camp. I'm sure that speaks to many of you that are sitting here as well. That are saying, this isn't it. There's more than this. There's a real relationship here. That's more than just ticking boxes and getting through stuff. And there absolutely is. And uh, I'm trusting God for that. That, uh, you know, that, that if nothing else, you'll go home and say, I, I want that. I want that relationship. This is me and God. It's the way it was created to be. It's not always easy. Sometimes takes time and effort. And sometimes God deals with us in a way that we're not expecting or not used to. But this is what we're here to do. This isn't peripheral to your job. This isn't peripheral to what you think your calling is. This is what we're here to do. Because it's through our relationship with God that everything else flows. And if the cork is stopped right there, well, everything we do just becomes a matter of ritual and doing it, hey? And that's horrible. We don't want to get there. So we want to operate out of a place of life and fullness. So a little bit of a, a difficult message to swallow maybe, but I think helpful. Um, if not for you, then certainly for me. Um, because this is the journey I believe God is taking us on. And I've seen this even in speaking to many people in this town who are not even of this church. And they just say, I'm just tired of just sitting here because I've always sat here and because my dad's always sat here and because, you know, I'm tired of just singing one song and doing this and doing this and then reading a prayer. And then there's more, right? There's more than this. Yeah, there absolutely is more than this. So if all this does is encourage you to say, okay, there is more than this. How do I get more than this? Then that's perfect. That's perfect. No one can walk that for you. Certainly not me. But I can hopefully encourage you to take the steps. Can we stand? Let's pray.